0: It's my very great pleasure to introduce tonight's moderator, Mr. Joe Matthews. (laughs) Joe Matthews is is the California Innovation Editor for Zocala Public Square where he writes the syndicated Connecting California column, which appears weekly in 30 media outlets across California. He also (laughs) serves as co-president of the Global Forum on Modern Direct Democracy. He was previously a reporter for the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Baltimore Sun. He's also the author of two books, including The People's Machine, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the Rise of Blockbuster Democracy. Please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Joe Matthews.
1: Thanks so much for being here. Um, there's actually quite a lot to talk about in this question of whether, uh, w- will California pick the next president? Um, I want to, um, to to introduce each of these folks, and we'll get right into it. Um, Gary Segura, M-, M. Segura, is the Dean of the Lesson School of Public Affairs at UCLA, and principal co-founder, senior partner um, in Latino's decisions. His work focuses on issues of political representation, social cleavages, domestic politics, of wartime public opinion. Uh, and the politics of America's growing Latino minority. Um, uh, he was also one of the pr- principal investigators in both the 2012 and 2016 American National Election Studies. Um, and these folks have done so many different <laughs> things, we're only getting a, a slice of this. Um, to, uh, to his right um, is uh, Rose Kapolczynski. She's a veteran campaign and communication strategist, more than three decades of experience helping organizations and campaigns deliver persuasive messages, and win. Um, She's best known for running all four of Senator Barbara Boxer's uh, uh, Senate campaigns, from her initial upset victory in 1992 to the final race against Carly Fiorina in 2010. She's also been a chief strategist for all kinds of ballot measure campaigns, from medical malpractice to clean energy standards, parental notification. Um, And she's also worked on the presidential campaigns of Gary Hart uh, and Bill Bradley, and she's about to become this summer, correct, the president of the American Association of Political Consultants. Right. What are those conferences like? <laughs> 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 um, um, and finally, Matt Barreto is a professor of political science and Chicano and Chicano studies at UCLA, and also the co-founder of the research and polling firm Latino decisions. Uh, these folks know each other. Um, and um, he's overseen large multi-state election even polls, battleground tracking polls, extensive message testing research, countless focus groups. Um, uh, author of uh, of uh, uh, books on uh, ethnic cues on on, uh, on reactionary politics in the Tea party and a host of uh, other work he also worked for the for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2015 um, and the DCCC uh, last year on uh, for research and strategy on engagement um, um, so let's get into this let's now this is California question but I want to talk start by talking about you know, there are 285 million Americans whose lives are poor and bereft. They lack all beauty, color, and sunshine because, <laughs> tragically, they do not live in California. Um, and so, um, now these... The, and, and, and I want to talk about them, and, and about a, over 100 million of them, you know, vote. Um, um, and, and they... Now, these folks, these, these, this, this group of Americans... They trust us Californians quite a lot. I mean, they trust us to make the sort of technology and the social media through, they use in very intimate ways in their lives. So they, they trust us to make the TV and shows and film, um, that, they, you know, they take into their homes, um, to design so many of their projects, uh, to, to grow the, the, the fruits and nuts and, and milk the cows for their cheese. I mean, that they eat, the wine they drink, so why don't they trust us to pick their president? <laughs> for you? What is the nature of California? Is, is California weak in this area? Why are we, are, are we weak in this area? And if so, why are we weak in our, in our presidential power? We're biggest, we're more important. They trust us on all these other areas. What's, what's different about the, the presidency? How do we get to this point where we feel we don't have
2: a lot of influence on this? That's for me. Well, <laughs> for each of you, for each of you. Um, I think the biggest enemy of California influencing presidential politics is California. And what I say I mean by that is we have scheduled and rescheduled and rescheduled again our presidential primary over the course of the last 20 years or so. Um, and the presidential primary process is such that if you're not in early, you can largely be irrelevant. The change in the democratic calendar especially has meant made that even worse than it had been before. Many people don't remember, but when you know Bobby Kennedy was assassinated after winning the California primary, that was very late in the election year. Uh, we don't do primary politics that late in the year anymore. So California's calendar had historically kept it having a minimal impact. And it's actually uh, uh, an opportunity this year, when California votes on the first Tuesday in March uh, this coming year. Where We're going to have the biggest impact on primary politics that we've had in a very, very long time. The other thing I'd say is I'm going to dispute a little bit that um, the switch from um, 12 years of Republican rule to the beginning of eight years of Democratic rule in 1992 coincided with California's switch from a red state to a blue state. So uh, I think California actually has had a pretty big impact on presidential politics, even if it's not as readily apparent as we might otherwise see.
3: That's definitely true. In 1992, uh, California was a purple state. Uh, The Clinton campaign invested very heavily here um, uh, in order to win, and it was pivotal uh, in Bill Clinton's victory. Um, I think we are really important, just not... We're just not first, um, or second, or third, or fourth. Um, The four... Early states are pivotal, Um, and uh, that's because there's so much value put on momentum uh, early in the season, and the momentum drives the media coverage, it drives social media, it drives contributions and volunteers, Um, and then there's a few delegates. But really, the early states Mm -hmm. are all about this drive to break out of the pack, because by the time we get to California, we'll only have three or four or five candidates left. Um, We'll have 20-some on the ballot, maybe. But uh, I think our real enemies are the deep tradition of Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, And uh, they're not going to let a big dog like California jump in line and uh, overturn that tradition.
4: I think one of the things that's interesting this year is that uh, California is earlier, as Gary said, and I think some of the candidates may be tempted to jump over. So while while Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina won't let us jump ahead, uh, some of the candidates might be. They might be tempted to uh, look past uh, Iowa and New Hampshire if they don't think they can win there, because there's so much at stake in California. Uh, We have the most delegates, the most Democratic delegates of any state, so it's the biggest prize. And um, it's the most diverse state and has the most diverse uh, Democratic electorate of any state. And so I think with the field we have this year, typically I, I would agree that it might be widowed down to three or four or five candidates by California out of the 22 or 23 that we have right now. But I can envision a scenario where candidates are sort of like strategizing of how do I stay alive until Super Tuesday? How do I keep myself viable? Because maybe I can go if you only get... Um, you know, 15% of the vote in California, you still might be able to, to win a number of, of delegates. So I think we might be seeing the return of California picking the president and, and being relevant this year, hopefully for
1: Thank us. You. Just
4: a question. I want to
1: talk about the primary, but um, you, know, you know, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time as a newspaper reporter in Iowa New Hampshire, uh, and they were lovely places to visit, except in the winter, when most of these <laughs> elections took place. Um, but do you think that their position is really sustainable? I mean, I mean, just, just on the sort of diversity and representation questions alone. I mean, we could, we could carve up a little piece of, you know, like have an Inland Empire primer, you know? <laughs> and, and that would be a more diverse and interesting sort of thing. And, and, and it would be, you know, small enough in scale, similar to Iowa in size, uh, you know? It, can they keep getting away with this?
3: Well, that's why they added Nevada and South Carolina yeah. to the yeah. first month um, uh, was for diversity to reflect the Democratic electorate um, more more accurately. Um, I, I don't know, tradition's a powerful thing. Um, but I, I think you're right. We could see more candidates continue, um, partly through the rise of social media and how that allows you to raise money and organize volunteers, Mm -hmm. and stay visible at a very low cost. If you look at the candidates at the bottom right now, the 1% and less people, many fine people um, (laughs) who are there, who are good Democratic governors and senators and other things, um, uh, they're able to stay alive because of that. And uh, we could see a longer primary season because of that.
1: I wanted to ask. So again, it's March 3rd, 2020. That's less than 10 months away, which might seem like a long time, but the it will come and go before the Rams Stadium is finished, <laughs> before the, the the new Crenshaw Line opens. Um, just to put it in a little context, um, a few questions about this primary and how it might play out. Um, and I'm just let me start with the with the with the um, the hometown favorite, the home state favorite here in the race amongst the top contenders. You know, there was a um, in, I'm probably dating myself, is an old show now, the West Wing, Um, you know, when they get to the, 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 tell the story of how Martin Sheen, as Jed Bartley becomes president, they go to the, the staff has to tell him he's the governor of New Hampshire, and they say he can't win the New Hampshire primary. The expectations are he's gotta get out of New Hampshire and not even compete in it, because he can't win it. He's from New Hampshire, he's, you know, he's well known there. By the same logic, this Aaron Sorkin logic, can can Kamala Harris win the California primary?
2: <laughs> okay, so though though I'm sure that that the ghosts of John Stuart Mill and John Locke are quaking over Aaron <laughs> Sorkin's elevation to their uh, to their status. Um, of course, she can win the California primary. Uh, it's as Matt mentioned. It's the largest block of delegates. If you come in, uh, we have a proportional allocation system in California. If you come in in California, and you kill it, um, as she very well might, mm-hmm. she'll come out with a boatload of delegates. So I, uh, of course, you can win. Now the question but is, will, will so she you underperform? Have. She ex- have. Right. Yeah. Okay. Should, right. All right. That's that's all fine, but uh, <laughs> I, these expectation games obviously yeah. have something to do with the momentum issue that. That we, we talked about a moment ago, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, 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 she absolutely will compete here. She'll be successful here. I'm I'm guessing, um, and uh, and and leave with a bunch of delegates. How that gets spun, you know, it depends on how good her communications team is, and and what mood the quirky folks at the New York Times are in that day. But I but I do <laughs> but I do think that about which I've had lots to say. But I do think that that she can she can come out of here with a a plus to her momentum and reputation. Sure. Do people agree with that?
4: Yeah, I I definitely agree. I mean, I think it's a delegate game now. Um, I think the Obama-Clinton 08 primary showed us that, that, you know, it became a chess match, that they both had momentum, that Obama had the early momentum, but that they eventually started realizing that there was a target and that if someone didn't have it wrapped up, you're just collecting delegates, and you're gonna get the most delegates here out of anywhere. And, you know, by the way, Texas has the second most amount of delegates, which is also on Super Tuesday. And we have a couple of Texans in the race. And um, so these big states, you know, you want to do well in your home state. And I think Harris absolutely wants to do well here because there's a lot of delegates and that's going to add to her total. And, you know, there's going to be these delegate charts on TV and they're going to stop talking about what state you won. And so if she gets 180 delegates here, that's a huge deal.
3: How
1: does it work the proportional system in California, what's that going to mean? Um, I mean, do you, do you understand it? I mean, is it is it by a certain amount? You have to... How, well... So, yeah, go ahead, Rose. Yeah. Uh,
3: so in every congressional district, yeah. they take the vote for all the candidates, and everybody who got at least 15% okay. of, the, of the vote is entitled to a delegate. Um, and so they divide up the delegates that way. Every district has different a different number, number. of delegates um, based on how democratic it is. So, for example, Maxine Waters' district has a, has more delegates than oh. uh, the Tom McClintock district um, uh, because you get credit for being more democratic um, uh, and having That's- more democratic voters there. And then. There's a portion called at large delegates, and they are allocated according to how the whole state went huh. so all right so let me
1: let's say uh, let's say the four of us were the candidates and and each of you got thirty two percent you know you're all well likable people they I, they gave me four percent I'm you know media enemy of the people so mm-hmm. so I don't get anything right unless I Somehow built that four percent into fifteen percent in one congressional district, and then how would how would that do you is it, how would you divide
4: it up at the state level how this going to work you each got thirty two percent statewide they they literally look at it within each congressional yeah uh, district, so the thing that you want to look at on election night is how the votes were decided and cast within each of the fifty three congressional districts right and so um it probably will correlate really high with what the state allotment is, the overall state vote. Mm-hmm. But if some candidates run much stronger uh, in Los Angeles County, and other candidates do better, say, in the San Joaquin Valley or something like that, there might be less Democratic delegates in the San Joaquin Valley and there might be more Democratic delegates in the in the Bay Area and, and down here. So, so the
1: real incentive to go, I mean, people are, as you mentioned, Maxine Mars, people are gonna spend more time on, in South LA County than in the Sacramento suburbs. uh, And looking for
4: those endorsements. So these members of Congress, you know, they may not endorse, uh, but they may. And members of the state assembly and state senate, they may offer endorsements because they carry uh, influence in their districts, and they send signals to to the electorate in their district that this person is is sort of for us. And so I think you'll see a lot of that as California gets closer. You're already starting to see some congressional members slowly start to endorse. And as California gets closer, I think you're going to start to see that and, and, and help people sort of send those signals.
3: You could also see a Castro, for example, um, going Castro, after-
4: former HUD secretary and- Yeah, H- Castro, Castro um, uh,
3: going after Latino districts, even some in the Central Valley where there may not be that many delegates, but if he's in it for the long haul, mm-hmm. he might have a better case to make in some of those places.
2: If, if I could, I, yeah. I would footnote that, that this, the weird delegate processes really are confusing to the media and they're confusing to the public. And I think they actually harm us in terms of transparency, even if there's an underlying logic for it. Now, our delegate process is nothing compared to the Iowa caucuses, which are unbelievably distorting. And Iowans essentially get to have a second choice and a third choice on caucus night, and it actually affects things. So I actually participated in the Iowa caucuses in 2004. It's very clear that Howard Dean had the most first choice votes that night. But because of the delegate reallocation rules for people who don't reach fifteen percent, right. the deal between um, uh, Richard Gephardt and John Kerry meant that all of Gephardt's voters went for Kerry, and Kerry ends up winning the Iowa caucuses, even though he didn't have the most votes. So It's a very strange system, and it, it makes it harder for people to understand how it's working.
1: Do are, 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 should we
2: where I mean place are,
1: are, should we expect these people to? To become Californians for a period of time, or are we going to see them in the almond groves with the blossoms in February? You know, are we gonna? Are we gonna? You know, I mean, are, are we going to see more interesting taco choices than just everyone goes to King Taco? Why? <laughs> I mean, it's great. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. But there are more interesting choices. I mean, does someone? Is some desperate attention-seeking candidate gonna? you know, do an event where, you know, that's cannabis theme, where they're eating brownies or smoking something? I mean, are we going to see that? I've
2: got a lot of money against that. <laughs> what, why? <laughs> uh, because attitudes on cannabis are certainly evolving, but they're not uniform across the country, and that candidate might want to win in California on March the 3rd, but they've also got to go compete in Mississippi on April the 3rd or whenever. Okay. That, I'm just, but that's yeah. my point. So I don't think you're going to see them like you do in Iowa, where they
4: do go and live in Iowa. And Gary can tell you uh, from his time in (laughs) Iowa. um, If you're there and you're a voter in Iowa, you are probably going to, without much trouble, meet personally every single presidential candidate multiple times. Um, And they go and they camp out there. It'll be the whole month of January. They're going to all be in Iowa because they're February 3rd. But here, I think they are going to be here regularly. And we've already seen them starting to come for fundraising events. But then they usually stop and they give a speech somewhere. And so we're starting to see that, um, as we saw with Vice President Biden with Mayor Garcetti at King Taco. And so I think you are mm-hmm. going to see a lot of the candidates here in California. It's just not going to be for two weeks at a time like they are in Iowa when they do go yeah. and move there. But they're going to be here regularly for fundraisers. They're going to come and, and meet donors. Is anyone going to surf? and we're going to do yoga? I probably mean... Beto will probably <laughs> surf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he way. likes to stand on things. So yeah. he's fine yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Great point. I, I, I know this is a Democrat heavy panel, but I did want to ask about the Republican, the nature of Republicans in California. Um, is, do you think there's an opening in our primary for some dissident, never Trumper, to make some hay? Um,
2: zero. Zero. And I say zero because the California Republican Party, even after their most recent convention, where they ostensibly chose the more conciliatory uh, state chair, um the party has despite its rather remarkable and almost breathtaking losing streak at this point um is not able to pivot there's not enough moderate voters who are significantly identified with republican politics who would turn out to vote in a republican primary to provide that opening as the party has shrunk that what used to be the moderate wing of the republican party has has left so I, I think it's zero. I can't.
3: totally right. agree. Trump's approval ratings are very high with California Republicans, um, particularly primary voters, mm-hmm. uh, because primary voters on both sides are uh, more partisan and tend to be farther out to the fringe. There are moderates, but farther out, um, because they're more educated, they're more informed, they're more committed to their views. Um, and so you have to see a path to victory to to run. You know, why? This is
1: not an opening for one of these moderate governors or former governors. I mean, who, you know, Larry Hogan in Maryland is, I mean, a different kind of character but is politically probably in the same space Arnold Schwarzenegger was in when he won twice.
3: But, like, what's the point?
1: Yeah, right. You know,
3: the press is not going to take you seriously. Donors aren't going to take you seriously. Volunteers aren't going to take you seriously. So it means that you can't even run to raise an issue.
0: I think they're all sort of
4: biding their time yeah. And until 2024, and you know, then you're going to see, I think, uh, an emergence of a number of sort of more moderate uh, anti Trump Republicans, as well as you'll see a follow up to, to the next wave of Trump Republicans. Mm-hmm. Gary, sorry, Gary. Yeah,
2: Trump, no, Trump is going to ignore, like, I, he's not going to debate Bill Weld, he's not going to debate anybody. Uh, and and I, if I were advising him, that's exactly what I would advise him to do. You just don't engage, you treat any challengers as if they don't really exist. And CNN and certainly Fox will help you with that. So I, yeah, let, me, <laughs> let me ask
1: you a question about in terms of shaping then the Democratic field. Um, is our Californians? I mean, you can look. I, I don't know, we we've been very content in California, at, at, and to have women represent us in the U.S. Senate for almost thirty years, because of your good work, Rose, um, and yet. We've never had a woman as governor. This city, the largest of their state, has never had a woman as mayor. Does California's presence, are Californians more likely than other kinds of Americans to vote for a woman, for a high office? Do we, is there any evidence of that? And do you see us, our forward position in this, as helping the women candidates running for president?
3: Well, Biden and Sanders are leading the polls in California <laughs> right now. Um, So I don't think there is, and um, there's a lot of research that shows that uh, voters are much more willing to vote for a woman running for a legislative office, city council, legislature, Congress, than they are for an executive position. And that's why there's so few women governors, mayors, and we haven't broken the ultimate glass ceiling yet of president.
1: When you do that research and ask people in focus groups, what kind of what's What's the reason for that trend?
3: Voters are smarter than a lot of us give them credit for in the political consultant class um, and they know that it's a different job. Hmm. They know that it's different to run a government than to have an opinion and propose legislation and work to get that passed. Um, that one is a manager and one is an advocate, and they when you get to manager, they wonder is that woman tough enough? Do I trust her with my taxes to spend them right? Is she going to educate my kids? What happens if there's a war? There's Even with all the progress women have made, um, there are still those reservations.
1: What what about Californians? Are are we more inclined, are we more open to voting for
4: non-white candidates for high office? Is there any research or survey that suggests that or... I I think, you know, probably for two reasons. One, that California is one of the most diverse states, and so you have more non-whites who are certainly more willing to vote for people from their own uh, racial and ethnic community. So as a state, as a whole, I would say absolutely that um, those diverse candidates are going to get more looks and get more interest here. Um, But we're also starting to see, I think, uh, finally, and it's similar to the slowness and progress in uh, women candidates getting that same recognition, but you're starting to see among uh, white voters in California an increase in uh, interest in, in supporting uh, minority candidates. So I think, slowly, you know, we're, we're turning those corners, and I think, hopefully, California would be at the forefront of, of supporting both
2: types of diverse candidates. I'm, I'm going to dissent a little bit on that one, I think. Um, if we added together all... I said hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so when we add in all the minority governors and all the minority senators in California's modern history, the answer is still zero. No, we have one. Um, we have one right
4: now. One, one right now. Well, Kamala. We, we, right, okay. We just She's elected vacating. Kamala Harris.
2: She was the first, right? Uh, after having served as, as a statewide attorney general. That's why how... Oh, uh, I, I, I never said That's no right. <laughs> I, I stand corrected. I like said Hayakawa, although he was an odd uh, fellow, but, but certainly. Well, an um, academic administrator, those folks exactly, have made strange <laughs> Exactly. Um, but, but what I want to point <laughs> out is that, so I did some work uh, years ago on the recall uh, election that Gray Davis was being recalled from office. And in the replacement election, um, uh, then Lieutenant Governor Bustamante was the only Democrat on the, on the replacement election. And the number of California voters, Democrats, who voted to retain Gray Davis in office significantly exceeded the number of the very same Democratic voters who voted for Lieutenant Governor Bustamante to be the replacement. So in a moment of absolute abject party loyalty tests, there was dissent. There was uh, 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 people uh, defecting from their party and voting for Arnold in, in this instance. Um, over Bustamante. So I think there is a reluctance to do that. So yes, Senator Harris broke through, and maybe that will be a trend of the future, and I, I'd like to be hopeful, but California is not without its challenges on this issue as well. Let me ask
1: about, um, Rose mentioned earlier the notion of certain ideas maybe coming forward in this primary and the agenda. You know, uh, I mean, the the federal government is what you have know, an insurance company with the military, famously. Uh, the big issues in prison, it's the economy, stupid. It's health care, um, you know, national security. Do you see it, the, the, the issues that are top of mind in California now, or are very important in California, housing, homelessness, uh, maybe water, um, those are not things that I've heard a lot about in the presidential campaigns in my lifetime, maybe I'm forgetting. Could you see those becoming more national conversations? Because I, I can't imagine trying to campaign here without those coming up a lot. Um, certainly on the housing and homelessness. Um,
2: so um, my sense is that uh, the cost of housing, the cost of living, as a more generalized issue, will be nationalized. But our in California, our specific, unique housing market issues are are, are specific not just to the state, but really to any highly populous, highly desirable area. So our housing market doesn't look that dramatically different from that, from one in Seattle, from one in Washington, DC, from one in New York, et cetera. Um, nevertheless, you're not going to see that discussion uh, nationalized housing, housing. I, my, my son and daughter-in-law have a house in Iowa. It costs us $114,000, beautiful house. Right? So it's just a different life in the middle. Um, and so that's not likely to get nationalized. Water, again, is a different issue. But again, if you spun water up to climate, yeah. the ability of the natural uh, environment to sustain the population of the country, how that natural environment is being degraded, um, the challenges that presents, whether it's super storms or droughts or floods or the varieties of things, then I think you, can, you could take California issues and nationalize them if you think of them in broader terms. I think actually I want to ask Rose about that. You led to a point I want to ask Rose about. You started your career as
1: an environmental organizer and lobbyist for the Sierra Club, um, and just a couple years ago, you you led one of the managed really one of the largest, I think maybe the largest voter registration drive uh, in California that I know of for Next Gen Climate. And do you think California's position are, is California different enough, or California voters different enough in how they think about climate? Um, its importance to them among the sort of issues to kind of shape this? Because it does feel nationally we're at this moment of much greater urgency and conversation. Do you think California in this campaign can sort of
3: change that? That's an interesting question. California does promote itself and certainly Governor Brown mm-hmm. uh, did a lot of work promoting mm-hmm. the California model mm-hmm. around the country as, um, look, your economy won't co- collapse if you take... Uh, significant action on uh, climate um, and reinvest those proceeds. The whole package that we have here, which is not perfect, um, but does have a path forward. Um, uh, I think it's been eclipsed a little by the Green New Deal, though. Um, and uh, the issues voters care about is are partly are a mixture, I think, of what they personally care about and then what are they hearing about. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, two years ago, none of us would have been talking about the Green New Deal, probably, even if we were talking about climate. Um, but now that there is a frame for it and a, a label, that is a, a touchstone, and you're either there or you're nearby or in a middle ground or whatever. But, uh, so I don't know if, cli- if California's climate solution will be a model for the country. So in we, this campaign. We got beaten
1: to the punch by the outer boroughs of New York City there. Yeah, um, exactly. Are, are we, are the, do well, surveys? Well, ours
3: has actually been implemented, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good point, good
1: point. Um, but um, but uh, do surveys show that we care more about this than other places? Uh,
4: environmental issues? Yeah, environment, climate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, an issue that's on California voters' minds. Um, you know, there's a difference in a lot of public opinion survey research. When we ask people, not just in California, but anywhere, Lots of people care about when you ask them on a standalone question. Do you think climate change is a problem? Do you think it's a human cause? Do you think the government should do something? Well, over 70 percent. I mean, Republicans and independents agree with this sense nationwide. The difference is, when we say and this is what Rose was just talking about, what do you want this politician to do in this election to make your life better?" It tends to, very unfortunately, sort of fall down be- below other issues, and people start thinking about things like cost of living. Um, pocketbook issues, their own families, sort of safety and security. And so it doesn't get that same sort of immediate salience, even though in other um, polls and in other surveys, a lot of people do agree that we need to address this problem. I think that's what you're seeing right now. Perhaps California could help uh, lead that discussion when the candidates come here, if there are other advocates who are here pushing them to talk about, and I think you're getting that right now with the Green New Deal, is let's try to get this issue center stage. We know that we all care about it, but then we all forget about it when we go to the ballot box, and that's sort of, um, I don't know if you've seen different in in the specific environmental work you've done, but that's sort of how it has been characterized and why we haven't fully addressed it, Uh, because it's usually not front of mind when someone goes into the ballot box, even though that same person does care a lot about that issue.
1: I want to wonder, sort of similar question about um, issues around immigration. I mean, half of all California children, half of all California ch- children, have at least one immigrant parent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, are we? Is this likely in this dynamic of this California-focused primary, you know, early primary? Are we going to pull the the conversation, the agenda, in 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 a in our direction on immigration? Do you think?
2: No, but only because. Immigration is the centerpiece of the political maelstrom now. Um, If it's already the nationalized issue, the 2018 national election was essentially contested on the subject of immigration. Um, The president's making a speech tomorrow with that noted policy expert Jared Kushner's uh, (laughs) immigration plan being uh, disseminated. Um, He's been working on that issue for at least five days. Kushner. (laughs) He had to take a break from solving the Middle East crisis. uh, um, But but the idea, I mean, immigration is maybe the defining element of the Trump presidency. uh, And uh, the entire election is going to hang very heavily. You're going to hear a lot about MS-13. You're going to hear a lot about... Um, caravans, whether or not they exist, you're going to hear a lot. I mean, this is just going to be the defining element. But is California. that? I mean, there, but
1: there's an element of that that that, that, that we're talking about the general election that 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 California can be this albatross that Trump tries to hang on on whoever the democrats are you so, know so I'll, they've been running against people republicans in other states have been running
2: against california mm-hmm. recently but right? but not without a great deal of not with a great deal of success let me pass this over to matt for a second but i'm but before because i know he's got stuff to say on this but before i do we've been polling on this for 12 years now consistently and there's a dirty little secret about immigration politics which is Uh, We talk about it being a divisive issue. Probably 70% of all Americans favor comprehensive immigration reform or the path to citizenship. A majority of Republican registered voters favor comprehensive immigration reform or the path to citizenship. And we know that that's true because not only did we run the question, but the Fox News pollster re-ran it and got the same result we did. He's a political scientist. We know him. So (laughs) that's the truth of immigration politics. And if you look at the 2017 races in Virginia and New Jersey, where this playbook of MS-13 and there's a lurking immigrant out to kill your children and rob your house, like, that whole message was tested to a colossal failure in both Virginia and New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, I think Gary's right. It's going to be the
4: centerpiece of the general election of the Trump campaign, and I think if you think about what can California offer on that, I think that there can be a discussion about uh, a better path forward on that. I think when the candidates come here, if there's uh, debates in California ahead of uh, our election, I think you are gonna see them getting pushed on that, because they already know it's going to be an issue, and so they can't run away from it. They're gonna need to embrace it, and California has been a very, in, in modern times, not historically, but in modern times, has been a more welcoming state, and that has been successful. And so I think it will be hard for them for Trump and other Republicans to run against California because it has been a success story here in the Democratic primary rows.
1: I'm, 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 not a political consultant, but so, but let me play one, you know, amateurly. I would look at, I mean, I would look at the two um, people leading the polls on the Democratic side, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders. And if I were one of the other Democrats, I'd be, I'd want in California. I'd want to attack them on immigration. I mean, Joe Biden, part of uh, an administration that did deportation in mass. Um, Bernie Sanders is certainly not aligned with the Calif- what, you know where a lot of Californians in are on immigration. I mean, isn't that likely to be a debate within the Democratic hmm. Party on that?
3: Well, I th- the the first debates that are coming up, yeah. you know, next month, I think we're going to see. That's right. The the lower tier and second tier candidates trying to, uh, get into the top tier by drawing a contrast. Um, I'm surprised people aren't being more negative against Biden and Sanders right now, um, because every candidate has plenty of strengths and vulnerabilities. Um, and, uh, I think immigration will be a crucial issue, particularly with our diverse electorate, but it's not just diverse in California. I mean, the Democratic electorate nationwide has become much more diverse and uh, through immigration. Um, And uh, so you can't talk in any state um, about issues without addressing it in a compelling way. And I have to say, Donald Trump has given the American people an education in immigration Uh, during his presidency. I mean, they know more about What's right, what's right and what's wrong, and uh, detentions and deportations. And it's mm-hmm. all been to our benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there is the MS-13, and those bugaboos will have existed in the past and will in the future. Mm-hmm. But uh, Trump has transformed the debate around what used to be a second-tier issue.
4: And I think you're saying the candidates move on that already. And so if you take someone like uh, Bernie Sanders and you take the 2016 uh, primary as evidence and you assume that the candidates are all moving this year into all of them, into an even more uh, welcoming or pro-immigrant stance on the Democratic side, you know, in 2007 when there was a comprehensive immigration reform bill uh, in the U.S. Senate that had a very good chance to pass, a bipartisan bill, uh, Bernie Sanders still had not come around on the immigration issue, that's not that long ago, 2007. He was one of the strongest advocates against comprehensive immigration reform and was arguing that really bringing any more immigrant labor uh, into competition with uh, American workers was bad. This was almost his entire mantra of his entire career. And he campaigned vigorously in the Senate against the 2007 immigration bill. Fast forward to 2016, um, he was as strong on immigration reform as anyone that anyone in the immigration community could hope for in the 2016 primary. Every issue he was out in front of, he was progressive on it, he was saying all the right things. And so I think all of the candidates are getting that signal that the the Democratic electorate is diversifying, that even beyond the Latino and Asian American community, African Americans and white Democrats also care about incorporating immigrants. And so I think you're gonna see all the candidates, whether it's something that Biden stood for 20 years ago or Bernie stood for 11 years ago, they 're going to position themselves now mm-hmm. in a very pro immigrant welcoming uh, friendly position and I think California does have a lot to do with that
1: um, I want to, to try to broaden this beyond some of the particular of primary election and talk about some of the bigger forces in California that can bear on politics and, and how they might you know influence the next who the next president is. Um, I want to start with money, I mean, we're famously called an ATM machine um, for American politics. They come, people come here, presidents come here, ruin, you know, rush hour traffic <laughs> to gobble up, you know, a million dollars, you know, um, and as a reporter, I mean, I felt like I spent, when presidential politics were in here, I, you know, I, I could have given you a tour of all the incredibly fancy. Houses of famous people that I stood outside the gates of, you know, while waiting for people to come out outside. Sorry. By the way, the best house is oh, the sorry. Ivan Reitman house in Montecito. <laughs> right. It's amazing. Um, you know, but, you know, I think he had 200 servants or something. Um, but, um, um, but the money is, but money is changing in politics. It, are California's rich people? Is our money as valuable in, in presidential politics <laughs> as it used to be?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, caveats one yes, lots of grassroots activism, lots of small donations. Uh, Beto ran on that in his Senate campaign. There's you know, lots of evidence that people, that, that there's roles for grassroots money, et cetera. In the end, it's going to cost the next president of the United States. Um, one point five to two billion dollars to be elected, like, um, and so yeah, money matters a ton, and we have a lot of it. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, well,
1: let me ask a different of a different subject. Another sector uh, uh, associated with the North of us: technology, uh, social media. Um, I mean, are 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 the are those companies? They, they spending more money on. They're becoming some of the biggest lobbying concerns. Um, so they have power, great power. Uh, but they're also increasingly in our politics from both parties targets people saying they should be broken up. Um, how do you think that subject plays out that California industry sort of influences who we get as a president, or they may just you know hmm. let the Russians <laughs> help make the choice i mean exactly. Uh-
3: Well, I don't think technology policy is going to play a big role, except where privacy is concerned. Uh, Mm. That is a big issue among Democratic voters. Um, Obviously, Russia and meddling um, is a concern. Um, uh, But Silicon Valley and the innovations in technology have transformed elections. Um, Everyone here knows um, how much information you can get online that you formerly needed to uh, collect, you know, 25 newspapers and magazines to get. Um, Those journalists are still producing the content. It isn't free. Um, Please subscribe. Um, uh, But uh, that that access to information and the speed at which it can be shared um, has made politics just dramatically different. uh, from organizing to fundraising to getting your message out. Um, and uh, it enables, it's, it's, it w- you can debate whether it's good or bad, it is reality, uh, but it has enabled um, many uh, long-shot candidates to have a better chance at getting elected, because mm-hmm. um, it's democratized communication.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But do you think you know, Facebook and Google have the juice to... to push this thing in directions? I mean, should should Elizabeth Warren be worried about what they're putting into the algorithms? I don't want to sound too conspiratorially conspiratorially minded, but I mean, those are very powerful actors in these in these elections, not just here, but around the world. I
4: think it's a reasonable question, because so many people cite Um, Facebook as their number one source of information. Mm -hmm. I think it's a reasonable question. And we know from political science studies and and communication uh, science studies that the information that you put in front of someone influences us, right? If I read 25 different articles for a week, then if I had read these other ones, I will come out of that week thinking differently. That's a fact. So I think it is an interesting question to think about what role uh, is Facebook in particular going to play in terms of choosing the types and curating the types of information that get into people's actual news feeds. And this was a huge point of contention and debate in 2016, of course, especially in the sort of the aftermath. So that's a good question, and I think we should continue to ask those questions. And we know from research studies that they do influence people. So it's a a legitimate question to say that, is this influencing the outcome? Yes, if you are being exposed to something that you think is factually news... Uh, and it turns out it's not, and it got there because someone either paid for it or some other sort of selection process, that's probably not good for our democracy, and those people uh, up in the Silicon Valley should be answering for that. Um, One other uh, industry I want to talk about that has an outsized
1: influence in politics um, is is entertainment Hollywood, the celebrity um, business. Um, I was noting March 3rd, I believe that's the week after the Oscars, um, uh, the leading contender for best one of the leading contender for best picture is a um, I'm not sure its name is a film directed by Ang Lee that stars Will Smith uh, in which he uh, is an assassin uh, an older assassin who finds that someone is trying to kill him and seems to know exactly where he's going to be and know his innermost thoughts and it turns out that that assassin this is a little bit of a spoiler but it does go beyond that is a younger clone of, of himself, um, which is, I think, a sort of a... probably taps into a, a deep-seated fear of, of most successful politicians <laughs> I've known, right? Um, or maybe it's just an allegory of modern life. <laughs> but um, my question is, I mean, that, I mean th- this, with this primary, again, in this, and our celebrity, are we... Is this and, and this desperate need in this huge field of people for attention, are we likely to see kind of a a California celebrity uh, um, primary? Are we already seeing this? Does mm. the celebrity still have that value? Or, mm. or has, is this another thing that Kanye has completely ruined?
2: <laughs> so being a, a Hollywood type, I'll take that question. <laughs> uh, so first of all, I have to tell you, when you were talking about who was trying to kill Will Smith, I thought the punchline was going to be Alexa. was like trying to, <laughs> and knew where he was. but. I, I do think that we will see the normal thing that we will see at any Academy Awards, which is that every winner will have something to say political, because that's how you show you're a serious person in Hollywood. I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not kidding. I, I'm not diminishing that, but, but they get up, they make a speech, they thank their mother, they thank their director, and they say something nasty about whoever they don't like politically. And, and that's fine. Um, in terms of its effect, I'm less clear on that. Um, if we go back to 2016, for example, Matt and I were at the DNC, perhaps Rose was w- as well, and the DNC was a who's who, the Democratic National Convention was a who's who of Hollywood celebrities, everyone assumed Secretary Clinton would win, people were trotting out, uh, we, we had Oprah, we had, it, just, it, it just went on and on and on, um, and she lost. And if you remember the RNC in 2016, like they couldn't pay people to be there, like <laughs> there were empty seats, right? <laughs> so at some level, yeah, it matters. Um, during the the Bernie movement of 2016 in the primary, there were a lot of outspoken celebs who were involved in the in the Bernie movement. But I'm not sure in the end it matters much other than noise and some dollars, you know, some fundraising.
3: Most celebrities are worried about their brand. Um, right. They they have a carefully constructed image um, that makes a lot of money for them and all of their associates. And and so there's a very small number who are going to get out there and really be for a candidate and say, amongst everyone, choose this person. Um, Where I have seen them be effective is in getting people to register and turn out to vote. Um, That's considered safe ground in Hollywood because it's democracy and we're all supposed to love it, unless you're in the White House right now. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, people who have tens of millions of followers on social media, repeatedly saying, "Register to vote. Go to this website. It's really simple. It matters because we know from research you have to both make it easy for people to vote and make it meaningful before they will actually do it if they're not a regular voter and a celebrity can set, can make it meaningful for some people.
1: Yeah. Okay, I think we, we may leave that there and move to questions.
3: Um, hi, Allison Ford. I'm curious if we have any sense on where California Democrats stand, uh, voters stand on the question of
0: electability versus support for progressive ideals. I mean, do the voters want someone who supports a universal health care and the Green New Deal? They've, want to get Trump out of office so badly that they're willing to support somebody who might not be as progressive as they like? Or is this a false choice that the voters really aren't thinking about in the first place?
4: I think generally it's the same uh, nationally as in California that by far and away number one is um, who's the most serious uh, electable threat. Uh, It also happens to be that there's lots of progressive choices this year and so Um, I think people feel safe that there are a lot of people, and and even the ones that don't maybe seem the most progressive choices are getting pushed by others by having all of those other really strong progressives in the race. And so I think you're seeing more emphasis at this early point, and that could change as the debates happen and people uh, spell out their policy platforms. But I think at this early point, um, most of us um, in the party, I think, are thinking, uh, who has the best shot to win we learned our lesson last time. Whoever has the best shot to win
2: is who we want. My name is James. Uh, yes, um, President Trump has given us a international civics course on immigration, <laughs> the whole country. But this week, President Trump has given us another beginning lesson. It's China. So how do we, because there's no discussion about California and the economy. Now, I'm not sure where we are in the world's economy. Are we eighth or 12th? I don't know where we are there. But what effect will he have on this, election, this lesson he's given us on China? For instance, we have a port here, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. I actually think that the trade wars are going to have a really negative effect on the GOP. I'm not sure California is the place where it will be most visited. So one of the things you'll recall is that both uh, Wisconsin and Iowa switched from the blue column to the red column in the last election. Um, President Trump has destroyed the soybean market uh, for soybean growers in the United States because a substantial portion of those soybeans were sold to China. Uh, Those exports have been replaced by the Australians and others, um, and they're probably not coming back. So um, you can expect to hear a lot about the Chinese trade war, but a lot of it from the agricultural perspective in the Midwest, I think. It will certainly be a negative effect on on the port economy, and it would certainly be a negative effect on on the folks who work directly for the port and shipping. The the pleasantry of California is that our economy, which is by the way fifth now, uh, is so diversified and so broad-based that I think that alone will not send a huge economic shock into the state. Certainly not the way it has a midwestern state. Um, but it's not good. There's no question about that.
1: Rose, I wonder it, it could, with some of the damage to agriculture, um, and and then some of the issues on immigration, where people, you know, more Republican part of the state. I'm thinking particularly of the San Joaquin Valley, um, four over four million people. Could you see 2020 as an election where it kind of swings Democrat? In, in a big way? I mean, if, if people are struggling, you know, ag is struggling, you know, immigration is impossible, so that, that goes right to workers, you could have a kind of big swing in the valley.
3: Well, we saw last year that uh, uh, districts that had yeah. elected Republicans to Congress year after year after year rejected Trump um, and rejected health care and voted for a Democrat. Um, I mean, it was really shocking how many, and even in places where we lost, we came closer Mm -hmm. than ever before. And so uh, people are paying attention to um, what the administration is doing to California, and it could be that on trade or agriculture, um, uh, we see even more movement um, away from Republicans. Um, There are a small band of Republicans in California who are more moderate I wouldn't really call them moderate, but more moderate who want to transform that. Um, but they don't have any elected officials as examples uh, to to lead them. And you can't do it without a figurehead.
2: I'm Mike Sinkoff. What role will superdelegates play in the selection of the Democratic nominee for president in 2020?
4: I'm not 100% sure. that's listed on the, on the DNC's uh, bylaws now. But I think they've dramatically rolled back the... Um, power that superdelegates have. There's been some um, collaboration and deal between the sort of uh, Sanders wing and, and others in the party. And so it may be that on the first ballot that they don't even get to uh, to vote. Um, but they, they have been, uh, I think, listening to what people have been saying about that and, and making it more popular. Um, but I think the DNC, they might still be working out the final details, but I remember at one of the winter meetings one of the previous meetings, that was a very important uh, point of, of debate. And there were dramatic reforms have been made to that. Compared That's to right. 2016.
3: They did they did say, uh, they do have a new rule that superdelegates don't get a vote on the first ballot. In the very, very, very unlikely event it's a brokered convention, they would get a vote on a second.
0: Uh, good evening, my name is Ernie Powell. And um, one of the one of the key issues that Trump brought up when he ran for president was that he was going to be the only Republican that wasn't going to touch Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Then he went on to create budgets that ravaged all three of those programs.
1: Um, My question is, which way do you see the senior vote in California trending this time?
2: I suspect that seniors in California will vote more Democratic than they did four years ago, though even at that time it was a majority Democratic constituency. Um, it's not just the threats to um, uh, entitlements, particularly senior entitlements like like Social Security and, and Medicare, that Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, has already said they need to reform, quote-unquote, to pay for the tax cut. Um, it, there's also the question of Um, many of us, most of us in this room, have now filled out one tax return since the tax reform bill and found out what effect it had on all of us, which also had a role in defeating a lot of Republican members of the House of Representatives. So I suspect that um, retirees, uh, people who are in late stages of their career, people who own their homes, etc., many of those folks are going to shift a little bit more Democratic than they were four years ago.
3: Unfortunately, there's no credible candidate to take Trump on in the primary. But if there was, I think that might be a crucial issue that would really hurt him because the primary electorate is uh, old. Um, You know, in California, it's 60 percent or over 50. Um, And that promise that he made, I think, was crucial in getting many independent voters who were seniors over to his side.
4: Hi, this is Charlotte Nayer. Nair. Uh, thanks for the wonderful debate that we just had. A uh, couple of questions, quick ones. One is ele- Electoral College versus popular vote. I just, mm. that I, that's something I came in with. Uh, that's s- certainly up for debate now. So I was just wondering what your thoughts are. My vote is for Electoral College because otherwise you'd have governance going towards the populations, which is a concentration risk. And just a quick second one the primaries, the momentum bias in the, te- with the technology we have right now, I don't know if it's simplistic, but how easy would it be to have it in parallel? I'll start with that quickly. I mean, that's been debated. There's a lot of primary reform organizations out there. Uh, a single national primary is one of the things that's been debated. Regional primaries where there's maybe only like five regions of the country and, and they're held uh, and it's rotated which region goes first. Uh there's been a lot of thought to that but as we started talking about earlier you know Iowa and New Hampshire have these historic places early on and it doesn't appear that people are ready to let those go so until that happens and they're ready to reform the whole system all of those ideas have been debated and have been there are, there are good plans for them uh I don't suspect we'll see that I think we'll just keep seeing the state shuffle around unfortunately on the primary side um, you have thoughts on the
2: electoral college Yeah my thoughts on the electoral college I, I'm sorry to say I, I profoundly disagree with you I think the Electoral College uh, was created to protect slavers and to keep their, um, their peculiar institution intact. It serves no purpose today other than to create non-majoritarian outcomes. The Electoral College has disagreed with the popular vote only twice um, in the last 100 years, I guess. And in both instances, we elected uh, minority presidents um, the party of the current president has won one national election popular vote since 1988. That they've held office as often as they have is testament to the non-democratic nature of that structure. So
1: can I ask the, the
2: political scientists and, and
1: scholars here? I, I, yesterday I was in Mexico City, and I was sitting in the Instituto, uh, Instituto Nacional Electoral, the National Election Institute, National Election. Um, body, which has 16,000 employees, because Mexico, like most modern democracies, has national elections, but we live in a country with no national elections. They're really state elections, and we put them together in this way, and they're administered at the local level, um, where most of the
4: work is done. How long do you think we'll keep doing that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's in the Constitution, so probably for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, forever. You're talking about constitutional reform to, yeah. to change the way, first of all, the federalist structure um, yeah. of the United States that gives states so much power, but the Electoral College you know, as well and, and the way that electors themselves go. And, and I don't know if you remember in, in 2000 when uh, this first was such a big issue because of the near tie, there was this, even this discussion about you know, faithless electors. So even though we had all voted and there were the ballots that we put in machines and stamped and everything else, there was this idea that the people that were going to cast their ballots were the ones who were actually, and this is true, were actually picking the president. And there was a campaign to including getting people's names in Florida and lobbying them to see if one person might consider changing their vote away from George W. Bush and uh, towards uh, Al Gore and creating uh, the tie. And so um, <laughs> it's a completely undemocratic and, and uh, strange system, but it, it's in the Constitution, so I think we're gonna be stuck with it for a while.
0: <laughs> well, before we close, I'd like to thank UCLA, our co presenter tonight. Socolo just turned 16 years old last month, but we'd like to wish UCLA a happy 100th birthday this weekend. <laughs> so, a round of applause for UCLA. <laughs> Also, thank all of you for joining us. We're so thrilled to see you all here. But the conversation is not over yet. Please join us for drinks just outside. I know there are a few more questions out there. So if if you didn't have a chance to ask, all of our featured speakers will be out there to continue the conversation with you. Finally, a big round of applause for our panelists tonight. Thank Thank you. you.